Okay, so for the second session this morning, uh, I just want to wrap up the first, the topic of the first session by uh, recounting one of the uh, case histories of uh, healing in one of the um, monasteries that I lived in in Burma. Uh, as you know, I I went to Burma back in the mid 80s and. Uh, ordained as a monk and, and practiced there, uh, both insight or mindfulness leading to insight and mindfulness leading to concentration and the Brahma Viharas. And uh, this is a pretty well known uh, meditation center in Burma. And over the course of the many years that it's been open, there have been um, many uh, cases of what we could call spontaneous healing or miracle healing or just, well, uh, as a result of uh, intensive practice of, of mindfulness. And uh, these have been, these stories uh, have been compiled into a, uh, a booklet and it's just interesting to review them uh, since that's what we're talking about is the mind in the mind and healing. So uh, we know from from our contemporary uh, experience that mindfulness is really useful for dealing with uh, stress and pain and uh, the high blood pressure and the, all those other things that uh, make life difficult and tense and hypertense. Um, well, people in Burma also have have uh, severe cases of hypertension and, and stress. And um, there's one story of this uh, 59-year-old woman who uh, had a 26-year history of hypertension. And it was so bad that she had to check her blood pressure frequently every day. And often she was just incapacitated and experienced considerable physical and mental suffering. She tried both traditional Burmese and Western uh, medical treatments. She got minimal relief, but no cure. She was fearful of going to a retreat center and, and practicing because of her poor health and she thought that it would get worse. Now in Burma, uh, when people go to the meditation center, they call it striving for the Dharma. They go to strive for the Dharma. And because they're nominal Buddhists until they practice, they're, they have an understanding of the Buddhist teachings and they understand that the, the insurance of a good future rebirth is to attain the first stage of enlightenment called stream entry by experiencing Nibbana. And their goal in going to the monastery to strive for the Dharma is to reach that first stage, to reach the first, to taste the unconditioned of Nibbana for the first time. So when they go to strive for the Dharma, they know that it is intense, full on, no distractions, effort for as long as it takes. Usually, uh, I say as long as it takes, uh, they probably wouldn't stay more than two months. Some will stay three, two to three months. But, you know, many do not reach Nibbana, and some do. 
but that's the energy with which they go to the, to the monastery. So she had this condition of uh, hypertension and no, no medical relief, and she was fearful of striving for the Dharma because she thought that her health was not good enough to do that. But eventually she decided to strive for the Dharma, and for the first four days nothing special happened. But on the fifth day, her blood pressure was so high that she was unable to lift her head, and her children came to take her home because they thought that she would be hurt, hurt themselves hurt herself by continuing to practice. But she thought, I would be much better and it would be nobler for me to die while striving for the Dhamma than to go home. And so she continued. And while sitting, her whole body became heavy and sluggish and she swayed and leaned to one side as if about to fall over. While she continued to note uninterruptedly as she was instructed, whatever occurred, she was noting whatever occurred, she felt something burst within herself and her whole body was engulfed by heat and she was emitting light. Thereafter her striving in mindfulness was very good, enabling her to sit for long periods of time up to an hour, uh, two and a half hours, where, in which, during which she felt like she was sitting joyfully and comfortable for only a short moment, without any tiredness at all and her whole body felt light and pain-free. She strove in this way for some, few, some number of days to her teacher's satisfaction, which means Nibbana. Upon returning home, uh, there were no signs of hypertension and she no longer suffered from her formerly swollen uh, face and heavy head, uh, indications of her hypertension, and she's had no indications of hypertension uh, since that time. Hey, well, just go practice until you think you're going to die and keep going. <laughs> so it is, you know, it is possible, even though fearful of your own medical condition, to practice and strive for awareness or mindfulness. Uh, and uh, there can be some sometimes some dramatic uh, transformations in the mind that condition uh, dramatic healing in the body. So for the next period of time I want to talk about uh, the body, the, ma the, the material element of this process called me. Uh, because uh, we're talking about the mind and healing and we're talking about primarily the healing of the body. Of course, we know that the healing of the mind takes place through practice also in the recovery of uh, suppressed emotion and the recovery of uh, suppressed memories in the uh, training of wholesome response to events in life rather than an unwholesome reaction and gradually just through developing awareness we do heal the mind, we heal our uh, broken hearts and our uh, damaged self-esteem and our uh, sense of self that is uh, has taken a beating uh, in so many ways and, and this is the mental uh, healing that occurs as, as we 
as we practice. But today I'm speaking more particularly about the possibility of healing uh, the body or the development of the mind being a healthy condition for a healthy body. Um, so, on the back of the handout that we just looked at is the Buddha's understanding of the body. Mm. Okay. Now, there's a lot on there, but I want to look at uh, just a couple of uh, different pieces on it. On the right, on the left-hand side, we see what are called the 28 material elements. And the primary elements are earth, air, fire, and water. This is the These are the elements of the body as experienced directly. Now we know when we look in a mirror, we see the body. This is an appearance. And when we look in a, a, an anatomical map or if we go to a, an autopsy or something like that, we can see kind of the, the visual appearance of both inside and outside. But actually, when you close your eyes, and you feel the body. You don't feel hand, foot, head, heart, lungs. You feel sensations. Now, initially in practice, when we you know sit down and, and we may you know uh, pay attention to our breath, we may pay attention to the breath at the nostrils or the chest or the abdomen, wherever. Often we kind of imagine in our mind this part of the body and, and we kind of somehow try to connect with that part of the body and experience something or, or just notice what we do experience. And initially, our conceptual understanding of the body, that it has this size, this shape, this function, these pieces working in this way, that conceptual map of the body is a very strong conditioning in our mind. We've learned that. And it is deeply imprinted on our life, on our, on our mind, and it's how we experience our body, is mostly through the anatomical map. But gradually, as we develop the strength of mind, we can actually feel what is going on in the body. Now, is that so difficult? Well, let me just ask you to try this little experiment. Just hold your hand up to the side of you, or out in front of you, like this. <coughs> this is called holding your hand out in front of you, conceptually. We know it's hand, we know it's arm, and we know it's holding. Those are all concepts. And we know that that is what is happening. But let me ask you, what is the experience of holding your hand out in front of you? Heavy. Say it again. Heavy. 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 Vibration. Yes. 
Anything else? Pulling. 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 Okay. <coughs> a pulling. A pulling sense. Mm-hmm. What else? Warmth. What? Warmth. Okay. Warmth. Anything else? Effort. Huh? Effort. Effort. Uh, let's. That's true. There is effort, but let's let's stay with the physical experience of holding our hand out in front of us. Tightness. Tension. Weight. Weight. Uh, is that heaviness? You feel heaviness. Your hand is hand is a concept. So there's no hand. So there's no hand. There's no arm. There's no holding. There's just heaviness. Right? Heaviness. Okay. <laughs> Not only increasing heaviness, increasing loudness. Uh, anything else? Coolness. Coolness. Or did you say cruelness? Yes. <laughs> Coolness. Okay, now, if we focus on it, if we pay attention to it, we stay, stay present with it, we see, or we discover, or we know that this experience, heaviness, hardness, aching, aching, oh, nobody said aching, I'm feeling aching, aching, heaviness, trembling, tingling, what? Okay, you can let your arm down. Which of those experiences is you? <laughs> it really doesn't, kind of doesn't make sense, does it? Because we're, we're confusing or we're, we're conflating the conceptual reality of this is me and this is my arm and the experiential reality of the primary elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And when we conflate the two, oh, we ask the question from one perspective, expecting an answer from another. Which of these primary elements is the conceptual you? It does not compute. Because n none of them are, obviously. Or all of them are in the aggregate as my arm. But, you know, with your eyes closed, there's no arm. There's just aching, heaviness, and, and so on. Practice for developing insight, liberating insight, has to take place at the primary element level of the body. It cannot, uh, paying attention to the body at the conceptual level of uh, anatomical structure and anatomical uh, movement and things like that is not sufficient for liberating the mind and for realizing the unconditioned. Not sufficient, not possible. And so it is the uh, instruction uh, of teachers to, to get you to pay attention to the body at the elemental level. What kinds of sensations are you feeling? Now we may start with movement and pressure, you know, and just having a sense of expanding and contracting. Well, this is the mode of the body, but we're still not in touch with the elements of the body. So we want to uh, keep refining our attention and the continuity of our attention, because through the continuity of our attention, we will be able to slip through or kind of penetrate, we say, or kind of slip through or mm, what's that word, kind of get through the concept 
the conceptual overlay to the actual experience. Now this is this is a challenge. This is this is this is a real challenge in practice because so uh, much of our mental activity is conceptual, and we mostly relate to our body as concept, its appearance, its function, its activity, and its uh, its its. its Awareness of the elemental level that I said is is required or is essential for one to uh, realize the unconditioned. Now there are, as you can see, these other uh, secondary elements: the ear, the er, the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, which are the receptors of physical experience, form, color, sound, odor, taste. So that when 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 you know I hold up this this thing here in front of you. And I say, what do you see? Well, let me let me do it this way. What do you see? Well, what do you see? Huh? What? Speak up. Gold. Gold. What else? Reflection. Reflection. What else? Curve. Huh? Curve. Curve? Yeah. Okay, curves. Curves. Curve. Shape. Shape. Light. Light. This is where the Zen master would say, no, what you see is... No. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> you don't want to get stuck in any one of those perspectives. You know, if, if, you, if the Zen master thinks you're stuck in the conceptual, then, you know, he'll hit you with the stick. And if you're stuck in the, <laughs> in the experiential, then he'll ring the bell, or whatever. So... Um, yeah, that's true. What we see is both a shape, a color, uh, you know, the kind of the shininess. We we know its function as a bell. We know its shape, etc. Uh, when we put them all together, we have a full picture, a full understanding of this. But it's the it's the form and the color, the shape and the color, which we can perceive directly with the eyes. We can't see a bell. We don't see bell. We see form. You know, shape and color. Which brings me to the the instruction in practice that when you are practicing and when you're uh, walking about and you're 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 trying to pay attention to walking. If in your walking you're noticing leg, foot, ground, bird tree etc., what you see, hear, and feel, those are all concepts, not practice. Not, not practice sufficient to pierce the veil of delusion to reach the unconditioned. But it's where we start. It's where we start in practice in, in beginning to notice just, oh, the lifting of the leg, the moving of the leg, the placing of the leg, or the turning of the head, the seeing of the car, the seeing of the bird, the seeing of the person, whatever. And we know it at that level. But in time, as the continuity of mindfulness increases, increasingly, we stay in the primary elements of, and we recognize our experience through the primary elements of materiality. So it's just seeing. What you see, not important. It's the function of seeing, and you see the color. Got it. Whether it's a bird, or 
uh, a car or a person, a tree, not important. The function of seeing and the function of, of recognizing color and shape, that's important. So you can see that in order to, as I'm saying, penetrate the veil of delusion with mindfulness, we really have to leave ordinary reality. We leave it. We're in ordinary reality. We're dealing with ordinary reality. But when the eyes are closed and the mind is paying attention, we slip through that and we're just into experiential reality. We say these material elements are the experiential elements. I want to point to the fact that some of these material elements are born of karma. Some of these material elements are born of the mind. Some of them are born of heat or environmental conditions. And some of them are born of food. All that we experience in the body, all of the material elements, and the health of the body in general, comes from these four conditions. Karma, mind, environment, or heat and food. It is interesting at times, not in the formal practice of developing your mindfulness, but it's interesting at times to just speculate and to look at the experiences you have in the body and see where they came from. What is conditioning this experience of the body into being? Well, thankfully, they turned on the air conditioning uh, during the break. And the coolness that we feel is due to what? Karma, mind, food, environment. Okay, but, but why can you feel it at all in the first place? Well, we have a body, right? We have a body. Where did you get this body? Karma. Without karma, no body. Right? We, we, we got this body at conception, small as it was, at conception, because of karma. And we continue to experience the life of the body because of the momentum of that karma. We'll talk more about karma this afternoon too, but as a material element, we feel what we feel we have these eyes, we have this body, we have these ears, we have this nose, we have this sense organs due to karma. So this experience of feeling due to karma. The experience of cold due to environment. Now it's almost lunch. You may be feeling some, what's that sensation down around the belly? Hunger, what? Where's hunger on here? I don't see hunger on there. What's that feeling? Tightness. Gurgling. Gurgling? Okay. Okay. We could take and, and just name all of our experiences and then try to identify are they the earth element, the fire element, the water element, or the air element. But generally, let me just say that the earth element is experienced as hardness, uh, hardness, what else? Hardness, softness, anything in that continuum. Let me find my notes. <clears throat> the air element 
is experienced as pressure, vibrating, pulsating, things like that. Fire elements is experienced as cold, hot, heat, lightness. Is my mic? Ah. Earth element. Here we go. The spectrum of hardness and softness, hardness, prickly. Uh, velvety, lightness, rigidity, gentleness, harshness, tenderness, stinging, floating, and pinpricks. Phew. Okay. So, what is itching? Earth element. The air element is some experience along the spectrum of movement or stillness. Experiences stiffness, tension, pushing, pulling, relaxation, bending, stretching, pulsating, vibrating, movement, tightness, releasing, and tautness. Got all that? You can listen to the tape later. The fire, <laughs> fire element is experienced along the spectrum of heat to cold, uh, warmth, coolness, lightness, gentleness. Sometimes, you know, when you uh, when you have a fire outside, like a, a, a cook fire or a bonfire or something, and you know how the heat rises, anything that gets in its weight gets lifted. Same thing in the body. Sometimes the heat of the body makes the body feel very light. Huh? You notice? No. You pay attention, you'll see. And the water element, generally we say that uh, the water element, we might feel, you know, kind of around the mouth stickiness or, or some wetness, uh, a kind of heaviness, cohesion. But actually the water element is so subtle that we don't feel it, we actually feel the other elements of it, hardness, heat, we feel the temperature of the water element. We feel the hardness of the water, or the softness of the water element, rather than the water element itself. But nevertheless, if in your reporting to your teacher of your physical experience, you include anything other than what I've just said, you're, 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 you're dwelling in concept. Wow, you know, it really, and, and my teacher in Burma, Upandita, he insisted, absolutely insisted that you Articulate your experience in terms of the, of the primary elements. Anything that was not on the primary element that I said, he didn't hear. He didn't hear it. Of course, there was a lot of mental stuff to report too, but as far as physical experience, you say, oh, I noted lifting. Well, I, well, what? What's lifting? What's lifting? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like the stretching of the muscle. Muscle? What's, what's that? You know, it's like, well, it's the heaviness Oh, heaviness, yeah, okay, I got that. And to, to try to describe your experience of the breath in terms of just these elements, or, uh, or describe your walking or stepping in terms of just these elements, well, why bother? I'll tell you why bother. Because it cuts through the illusion that it's you, and it cuts through the illusion that it's your body, and it cuts through the illusion that this body is as you as it appears visually or it appears functioning it's not it's just 
momentarily arising, rapidly arising physical experiences that can be directly experienced and that's what the guidance for an instruction in practice is. Get to the elemental level or the elemental experience of the body. Hang out there. Don't leave there. In time, as much as possible, in time then the mind rests there and you don't put together the concepts of body, size, shape, function or anything else. Then you have the, the opportunity to pierce the illusion of, of delusion, pierce through delusion to, to reach the unconditioned. But only when that capacity to, to kind of live at the elemental level or to reside at, to, to be aware of the elemental level, then uh, it's possible. Burning, stinging, stretching, aching, hardness. Yeah. Pain? You can say pain. What? <laughs> What's that? Can you be more descriptive? Because when we get when we when we feel pain, you know, it's like, oh my knee is killing me. My knee is killing me. You know, already we've got a knee in its mind. And killing. <laughs> but Actually, at that level of knee and pain, we're, that's concept. The knee, the knee is a concept, right? And so, in order to get through that concept of knee to the elemental, then, uh, and you may find that if, when you're experiencing pain, you really look at this pain to to be able to distinguish its elemental characteristics. Is it hardness pain? Is it stretching pain? Is it heat pain? Is it flickering pain? Oh, there's a description of pain. Oh my goodness. I, I, gotta, I gotta show you this. This one is pain. Here we go. Pain is actually a quality of the mind. You know pain is not physical? Did you know that? Pain is not physical? It's mental. But there are different kinds of pain. Should I, should I share you? Share with you some? Just some. And, and in the in the stress in the in John Kabat-Zinn stress stress uh, reduction stress management training with uh, mindfulness-based stress, you have to decide. You have to indicate which of these kind of pains you have: <coughs> flickering, quivering, pulsing, throbbing, beating, pounding, jumping, flashing, shooting, pricking, boring, drilling, stabbing, lancinating, sharp, cutting, lacerating, pinching, pressing, gnawing, cramping, crushing, tugging, pulling, wrenching, hot, burning, scalding, searing, tingling, itching, smarting, stinging, dull, sore. Hurting, aching, tender, taut, tender, heavy, taut, rasping, splitting, tiring, exhausting, sickening, suffocating, fearful, frightening, terrifying, punishing, cruel, grueling, vicious, killing, wretched, blinding. <laughs> and the list goes on. But if you're paying that close attention, it's not just pain. It's like you're you are there at the momentary flickering, arising and passing away away of it. And it's that continuity of attention and that sensitivity to the characteristic of it that's required. Now, it went, I get to, when you get to that level, it's like the knowing, the mindfulness of it is so strong that the sense of it's me and mine and my knee, not there. That concept doesn't have an opportunity to get in the mind. 
You're just at that elemental level of being with the body. Some of, the, some of these are, uh, you know, more of the emotional, mental thing. This is, uh, as I mentioned, is the list that they use at the stress management thing. These would not be acceptable with Upandita. But just, it's, it's, it's a phase that we have to go through, though, to get from my knees killing me to pulsing, throbbing, heat. You know, it's kind of we go through the phase, the, 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 the phase of part concept, part experience, you know, until it's more more uh, experience and, and either no or less less or no concept. This this transition this transition in, in the uh, in the progress of insight knowledge, the transition from concept to uh, direct experience both of the physical elements and of the mental elements is is very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, it takes just a persevering Diligent continuity of attention to just what your experience is. Very difficult, and initially, it's very destabilizing when you when you kind of open up to um, just the elemental experience of the body and the elemental experience of the mind, without a sense of self, kind of holding it all together. Very destabilizing. What what uh, what works with the cell layer, the um, muscles, and instead of person people feel like you have to consistently exercise, you know, you you need to, you know, if you don't burn, if you don't feel the burn, it's not working. Things like that, things that are in our own culture. Uh, did you find with your teachers that could they work more with their minds, and that in turn also worked with the body and worked with the physiology? Uh, to the extent that I understand your question. Uh, there's not a there's not a lot of encouragement to be very physical, but by paying attention with your mind to what is going on in the body, you will definitely experience all that you experience in your body when you do heavy exercise, hard workout, or anything else. You you you'll definitely feel that even more intensely. Burn. Man, I, I felt my leg burn like a log in a fire. I mean, for long periods of time. It's just flickering heat, just like, oh my God. You know, but when the mindfulness is strong and you're not identified with it as my leg, it's like, wow. You know, every once in a while, the image or the concept will kind of crack through and you'll think, my leg, oh Jesus, I gotta get up. You know, it's like, no, no. It's just like, and you settle back down and you just settle back into the. Well, uh, most of the time when you get up or when you shift out of your posture, uh, it takes a little while to kind of come back into ordinary reality and the ordinary relationship to a body with legs. It takes a while, you know. Uh, I did have the experience, though, of going to an interview with uh, Sharon Salzberg one time when early in my practice. And I sat down, I was doing my 
you know, I was sitting cross-legged in front of her and she was there. I was telling her about my practice and it went on for 20 minutes or so. And at the end of which I got up and started walking out without checking out if I still had legs and fell right on top of her. <laughs> Oh, is that what sets it off? I just can't laugh, huh? So, uh, yeah, it does take it does take some transition to transition back into ordinary reality, both with your mind back into ordinary reality and your body into ordinary reality to kind of put it all back together. And, and we, we become more skillful as time goes on in, in transitioning from ordinary reality to experiential reality and back. So it takes some time. Initially, it can be a little disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, when, in this, I know we're talking mostly about the body, but in this, when you're doing that kind of practice and experience of ego or desire arises, how do you label that in this cosmology? When, when ego, desire, aversion, or anything like that arises, those are mental states. Those are mental states. So then we go back to the other side of the page and say, which one of these is arising? Oh, it's aversion, or it's desire, or it's you know fear. Fear is a form of, diver of, of, of aversion, or it's judgment, or something like that. So as I, as I acknowledge, and as, as you know, the mind and the body are talking to each other all the time. So while you're sitting there, and first your leg goes numb, you know, there's numbness, but it's a leg, and there's, you know, some judgment of that, and there might be a lot of fear, like, oh my God, I don't know, should I move now or later, or am I ever going to be able to walk again, or am I hurting myself? You know, and so there's that kind of commenting going on, and if we can recognize those, not just deny them or avoid them, but recognize those and move, keep, keep moving on in time with awareness, then we slip through, you know, the mind, the legs go numb, and you don't care. And it, it's not hurting the legs either. But then, then you get to where the legs are on fire. And it feels like they're log burning. And it's just like flickering heat. And it's just like, you know, you don't want to know that it's your leg. You just want to see a nice log in a fire burning. <laughs> you know, because when you identify with it as my leg, then you've got a lot of aversion and fear and judgment. It's like, oh my God, you know, and a lot of intention arising to move, 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 get out of here, move, move. And you have to kind of, See that? See that? Wait, 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 wait. Let me just let me just slip through that veil again. Not my leg. Not me. Burning. It's just oh, there's burning, heat, flickering, heat happening. So what you do is you consciously recognize like wow, there's a lot of fear and aversion arising. Definitely. And then just sort of like move up, move, make the effort to move back to just log on fire. <laughs> log on fire. I don't know because log is also concept. Fire is concept. <laughs> It's just back to the experiential reality of that. No, I don't, I don't move away from the sense of my leg burning. It's like you have to recognize, oh, that's conceptualizing. Or, or when, when fear arises, to experience it anymore, you have to deal with the fear. Now you've got to deal with the fear or the aversion or the intention to move arises. I want to get up. You know, or you want to look at the clock and say, how much longer is this sitting supposed to go? Oh, my God. You know, and so in, in noticing those mental eruptions, then you sustain the continuity, and the continuity of the awareness gets stronger and stronger and stronger. 
In time, nothing moves. In time, nothing moves you off your seat. No amount of unpleasantness, physical, or drama in the mind, mental, emotional in the mind, doesn't, doesn't move you. Yeah, but it, it's, it's a process of learning how to endure the actual experience of our body. Why do we keep moving? Why, why do we keep moving all the time? Why are we so restless in our body? Because if we sit still, this is what we'll discover. We say, we say, in the in the in the in the text that constantly moving the body obscures the truth of dukkha. You want to understand the truth of dukkha? Sit still, pay attention. Sit absolutely still and pay attention. You'll, you'll, you'll discover it really quick. <laughs> if, you don't, if, you, if you don't, then you'll keep moving. We keep moving in part because the truth of dukkha is so hard to get. It's so hard to get. And so we keep moving. Well, you just said once you reach a certain point, which is far beyond my capabilities. No, 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 no. Let me just correct you. It's not far beyond your capability. Maybe it's far beyond what you are currently experiencing. But you certainly have the capability. I say you. The mind, if developed, has the capability. Your mind is no less than, than my mind or anyone else's mind. You said, I believe, that once you reach the point where nothing can move you, yes? Yeah. But you, you, you're, you got up sometime. Mm-hmm. How do you know when to get up? I'm just curious about that. <laughs> yeah, how, do you, how do you know when to get up? At, when you're at the point where, you know, it, you know and uh, that's a good question. That's a question that your teacher is probably going to ask you. When you get to that point, why did you get up? Because usually, usually there is an there is a uh, an experience that's unnoted or unnoticed that conditions an impulse or to get up or an intention to get up, and you get up before you recognize what it was that conditioned that intention. There is a, there 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 is a, a place in Burma. There's one monastery in Burma. I did not go there. I didn't find out about it and wasn't able to go there because they didn't allow foreigners to go there at the time. Where their goal in 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 your practice is to get you to sit for 24 hours, to stand for 24 hours, to walk for 24 hours, and to lie down fully aware for 24 hours. That's their goal. No break. 24 hours straight. For the four days. No 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 no. Just <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs> You know, and, and that's their, that's that's their. When you go there, that's not what that you know. That's what they're going to be asking you to do. Gradually, you just build up from an hour to an hour and a half to two to three to four to five to ten to twelve to fifteen twenty twenty four. You can do it. And it doesn't hurt the body. I mean, the body hurts, but it doesn't damage the body. Powerful healing takes place there. Powerful, un- unbelievable healing takes place there. Yeah. So it's. It, and it's not it's not personal to you. It's not personal. It's not I can do it, I can't do it, you can do it, you can't do it. It's the mind. If the mind is developed, it can happen. Now we all have our minds. We all we all come with our minds and our minds have some degree of wisdom and some degree of delusion and some degree of determination, and some degree of wimpiness and some, <laughs> some degree of all those other things. But as we as we pay attention and this is this is our responsibility. The the whole practice is pay attention to your own experience. What's your mind doing? What's your body doing? Then we can see. Then we'll develop. 
I used to be a wimp. Wimp. I was like, sit, you've got to be kidding. I hate pain. I don't want anything to do with it. So when I got to Burma and, and my, my teacher was, you know, I saw the schedule, sit an hour, walk an hour, sit an hour, walk an hour, you know, 16 hours a day. I said, oh, okay, if sitting an hour is good, sitting an hour and a half must be better, right? Wouldn't you think? If you can sit for an hour, that's good, but sit for an hour and a half. So I said, okay, I'll sit for an hour and a half. Then I sit for two hours and two and a half, three hours, three and a half, four hours, four and a half. Just kept sitting. But as I was kept sitting longer and longer, oh my God, it's really painful, excruciating. So I'd go to my teacher, and every day I was reporting all oh, these pain in excruciating detail, just the most refined, flickering pains, just like, you know, stabbing flames just kind of going right in this. You know, which cell is right on fire? You know, it's like knee, not no knee, it's just like, you know. And then after a couple of weeks, that he says, You know why you have so much pain? I said, No, why? He said, You sit too long. <laughs> So, the goal is not to, to sit too long and endure a lot of pain. The goal is to reach balanced mind, really. Some people ask you to do that by sitting long. Some people don't. Yeah? Well, I have just thought, maybe this is a conceptual thing, but realizing or being aware of the elemental aspects of like fire and burning and yeah. Is there a place for like distance, close, yeah, yeah. So the question is: Is there in in the in the experiencing of elements, the elemental nature of the body, is there a place for distance and closeness or fire or, or things like that? Uh, that that would be conceptual. It would be conceptual. But the, but we do experience at times feeling like oh we're right in the middle of it, or it feels a little remote or it feels distant, or it feels like even disconnected from us, but somehow we're still feeling it. And, and it's interesting to, to, to take note of that, and, and you can always report that. Some, some teachers will accept it, some won't. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just an experience. Yeah? Well, I'm just wondering, fear is a concept in of itself as well. Like a lot of what you listed here as mental factors seem like concepts, and yeah. Is there a way to break them down in the same way that you could break your physical feelings down into elements? Mm. Like to examine what the elements of fear are? Yes, good. Sure. Uh, you know, to take fear as an example, fear is a form of aversion. But when fear arises, you know, it conditions certain physical experience, doesn't it? Fear, contraction of the gut, clenching of the jaw, kind of, kind of a fight, flight kind of reaction, and you get that kind of stuff going on physically. But fear is fear itself is a mental element. It's a version. You know, there's something happening, and you're. You know, but that's the mind doing that. The body is kind of is is acting it out. But it's the mind that's afraid. Body not afraid. The mind's afraid. But the mind that's afraid conditions the body into a fearful feeling. What's familiar to us as fearful feeling. Yeah. So there's, you know, these mental states that that I, the mental factors that I put out. There's a lot of, you know, like to take aversion, for example, the unwholesome aversion. There's just many different kinds of aversion. Fear being one of them. Cynicism being a, for, a form of aversion. Uh, anger, hatred, impatience, even all forms of aversion, from subtle to very gross. Rage, a very a depression, a despair. Uh, these are all forms of aversion. And when you when you want to when you experience any of them, 
might initially identify it as depression or despair or whatever. And then you go into into it as you know, there's there's a whole package of mental as well as physical pixels of of experience in there, in that experience of frustration or you know, disappointment, something like that. Yeah, well, the pixelated view of life, you just keep paying attention. As you keep paying attention, you will get through the concepts, more and more concepts into more and more direct experience of the pixels of phenomena. And I'll tell you why later this afternoon, why it's so important to do that. Was there another? Somebody else had a question. So the comment is about when there's an emotional eruption in the mind, uh, how to work with it, and what is actually going on there. When there's an emotional eruption in the mind, there's a lot going on. There is, as you say, there's the story of the emotional stuff. There is the actual mental state of that emotion. There is the physical experiences conditioned by that emotion. There's all kinds of future planning around you know getting revenge or what you're going to do to get out of it to get rid of it to in the future differently there's a there's a whole package of phenomena going on in what we call you know an emotional state we can take note of any or all of those elements of it some of which are concepts and have more elements that they're made up of just more elements uh, to consistently choose to turn away from the mental state of fear to the experience of physical fear, you're right. It's avoiding and it's not really getting skillful at recognizing the mental states and how to be with the mental state itself. But sometimes when they're overwhelming, particularly when they're overwhelming, we say, oh, go to the body. Feel it, feel it in the body. Because as soon as you start feeling in the body and you start naming the sensations that you feel, you know, it moderates that. You know, it modulates, it kind of insulates you from feeling quite so barraged by or kind of inflamed by that state of mind. But in time, we do have to recognize the states of mind and, and learn how to, to be with, you know, the feeling of fear, how to be with the feeling of any, any other anger, jealousy, rage. But, Yeah, uh, so the comment is, uh, she understands the going to the body, but she, uh, when she stays with the mental phenomena that's going on in an emotional state, well, I, I, I kind of hear you saying all you recognize is the story and not the mental state itself. 
The mental state is the feeling. The, the mental feeling. Mental feelings are very hard to, to recognize. Very difficult to perceive clearly. Physical feelings, we, we, can, we can learn to do that. The mental stories, we can learn to do that. We can even name it. But to actually allow ourselves to feel you know, jealousy without a story, really painful, really, really painful, really painful. Yeah, that's why I was, I was talking to Win about, you know, that, that's really where we want to be. I mean, it's not where we want to be, but when you get a chance to really feel an emotion, yeah, don't, don't give it up. Don't, don't pass up that feeling. Don't pass up that opportunity. You know, when you talk about um, concepts as, as a veil of delusion or yeah. whatever, but when, when we're so dependent on concepts for our survival, yes. you know, a surgeon needs sure. to have a concept of sure. the oh, yeah. systems mm, and mm, mm. our life you know, yeah. depends on this concept. Yeah. So, yeah. so when they have that kind of power and then to describe them as deluded, it's there, there are these different realities, or different levels of reality, different perspectives, I would say, of reality. There is the conceptual, consensual, ordinary reality, and the Buddha spoke extensively about living and working in this reality, and, and not denying it, dismissing it, not trying to get away from it, but learning to live skillfully in this, with the use of concepts. Why I am speaking about the experiential reality beyond concepts through the piercing the veil of delusion is because that's where freedom takes place. That's where liberation takes place. Concepts of very nature uh, entangling. You know, because it, it's a holding of something in the mind. It's a holding of a concept in the mind. You know, you know. Right now, we're all holding this concept that there's a there's a day-long seminar going on in Minneapolis with Steve Armstrong teaching something about mind and health. And I'm a student, or I'm a teacher, and this is what's going on here, right? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is at that level, and it's important to know that and to acknowledge that. But it's important also to be able to see through that illusion when necessary or useful. Now, in this particular case, you know, is it ever useful to kind of escape that illusion? Yeah, it is. If you're hungry and you want to eat, then you want to know that. Oh, okay. So you kind of get out of that reality into, oh, my experiential reality is, you know, I'm getting dehydrated and I need to drink some water or whatever.
quality Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.